0: okay hello everyone and welcome to actus radio the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession actus radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in cdi and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the cdi profession and to actus today wednesday august 15th marks our 103rd program i'm glad to be back after relinquishing this seat last week or two weeks ago to my co-host, uh, Melissa Varnavis. But I'm back here today and uh, very glad to be your host for today's program, Cephalopathy. So I'm joined today by my co-host at left. You can see her on the screen there. This is Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton, Mass. Laurie is the Developer and Lead Instructor for our Actus Bootcamp line, serves as a subject matter expert by way of background, she's a former CDI manager and a nursing manager with experience at med-surg, ICU, pacu, and endoscopy, excuse me, <laughs> and she recently authored a second edition of our popular CDI Specialist Complete Training Guide. Welcome, Laurie.
1: Thanks, Brian. Excited to be here.
0: All right. And next, I'd like to introduce our industry guest today, her first time to act this Radio. We have with us Don Valdez. Uh, Don is an RN, LNC, CDIP, and CCDS and is, and is the CDI manager of education at Arden Health Services in Nashville. Don has been an ICU nurse with a specialization in neuroscience for more than 20 years and now teaches CDI specialists on CDI topics, which encompass the review process, medical diagnoses, and their clinical indicators, as well as, as, well as query writing. By way of background um, she has a background in legal nursing was a medical bill auditor for the payer side of healthcare care for 12 years prior to her current role she was a nursing preceptor in the neural icu at emory universal hospitals you may recognize dawn as a presenter at our 11th annual actus conference on this topic she presented a section called taking the mystery out of encephalopathy in san antonio and we Hope she can help us again with that topic today. So welcome to the program, Dawn.
2: Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here.
0: Okay. Well, as I always do, I'm gonna start with a a poll topic related to um, today's show. We ask you to take a look at those options and click the result that applies to you. So the question reads, which of the following types of encephalopathy do you have the most difficulty with from a documentation and coding perspective? Um, is it toxic encephalopathy, hepatic, metabolic, septic, or other or unknown? It's telling Laurie and Don, before the show we only Act this radio platform has its limitations. We can only have five options. I know there are more types than this, so we have our other or unknown. So again, which of the following types of encephalopathy do you have the most difficulty with from a documentation and coding perspective? Let's see them there. Toxic, hepatic, metabolic, septic, or perhaps an other type, or maybe you maybe you're not sure or doesn't apply. All right, we've got about well, 70%, close to 75% of our audience has now voted. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to close this out. And we will uh, come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right. Well, as I mentioned, our guest today is Don Valdez. Don, welcome to the program and thanks for being a part of Actus Radio. Um, you know, I thought we could start by just setting the landscape of this disease. This is a big topic. This could this could be 2 hours of discussion or more, but maybe just to start for our audience Dawn, could you perhaps sum up some of the key points of the NIH National Institute of Health uh, definition of encephalopathy and maybe a few of the common traits these patients exhibit to help uh, help our folks that are reviewing these cases?
2: Sure thing, Brian. So, the basic definition of encephalopathy is a diffuse disease of the brain that alters brain function or structure so diffuse meaning you can't point to any one specific area of the brain and say ah this is where the encephalopathy is showing up it's diffuse it's widespread therefore it's not really going to show up on any ct imaging mri imaging any type of Uh, angio, anything like that. It is considered an acute condition. You do have chronic, but for this portion of encephalopathy, we're very focused on the acute because that's the predominantly seen in the CDI industry in the inpatient realm. So for the acute condition, it generally lasts up to a couple days. It could be several weeks. That's a little unusual in its presentation from what we see at ARDENT, but it can last that long. Um, It's always, and I hardly ever say always and never in this industry, but this is one thing I can say always too. And encephalopathy is always, always, always due to something else. So identifying the source of that alteration in their mentation is the first thing a CDI should always establish. That is your first line of approaching this subject. Um, It's considered non-structural in nature, and again, it won't show up on imaging. The manifestations are largely uh, attached to what the underlying cause is, and the correction of the underlying cause is the treatment for the encephalopathic process in any patient. So correct identification of the underlying source is always going to be the first area that the physicians go to, as well as the CDI when you're reviewing the case nice right. job
1: I'm, I'm sitting here nodding you're, you're saying all the right things i appreciate that
2: um <laughs> no problem
1: but you know you talked about that initiating initiating source that leads to the encephalopathy what clinical indicators do you look for when you're looking at a record for a possible toxic encephalopathy that may be related to an adverse event or a poisoning
2: okay so when i when i think about toxic encephalopathy i like to teach Uh, to look at it from this point of view. Toxic is always gonna come from outside of the body. Medications, as your questioning um, alludes to, is one of them, but there are several areas of toxicity that can happen. Chemicals, vapors, gases, even heat strokes or altitude sickness could be grouped into that category depending on the presentation. So just think of it as something from outside the body. Specifically to your question, Lori, with adverse effects due to medications, The CDIs really need to know the adverse effect and poisoning rules and how to sequence those, especially underdosing as well. When you're looking at toxic and it's due to a med, okay, you're gonna think toxic encephalopathy, but you have to go through, is it an adverse effect? Meaning, were all the five rights of medication administration plus the sixth one of, was it prescribed correctly, um, done. If it's all correct, if everything was taken correctly, all the way down the line, and there were no drugs or alcohol taken with that correctly administered med, it's going to fall in the bucket of adverse effects. If there's any nose, it was taken incorrectly in any of those realms, or it was taken correctly and somebody had a drink, a glass of wine at bedtime after they took the medication, woke up altered, it's gonna fall in the poisoning bucket. The reason why the CDIs really need to focus on that, because the sequencing, a lot of times the patients will present to the ED because of the alteration in mental status. So therefore, we're looking at the PDX sequencing. So if you have an adverse effect, the manifestation is always going to be your PDX. So that is one case where the toxic encephalopathy would be the principal diagnosis. If it wasn't taken correctly in any way or correct with the combination of drug and alcohol and or um, then it's gonna go poisoning is gonna be your PDX. So you've got to be able to distinguish your pathways there. Perfect. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks, Dawn. Um we well, switched gears a bit. Um how about some of the clinical indications for, for metabolic encephalopathy? Can, can you talk through some of those with our audience today? Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Now, metabolic is one of the ones that we see more often, and, and you also see a combination of toxic metabolic. This is a provider education issue as well. They often will interchange those two terms. So when we're dealing with the metabolic encephalopathy, again, toxic, think of as coming from the outside of the body. Metabolic, I want you to think of as coming from inside the body. There is a metabolic process somewhere inside that body that is causing an alteration in mental status, which can come from a variety of things. The thing that we see the most often in clinical documentation is due to some type of infection. Sepsis also falls under this category. Even though sepsis is its own type of encephalopathy, when you go to code that out in an encoder, when you go to the grouper, your ICD-10 is going to default to the metabolic encephalopathy. So don't think you've done anything wrong there but what you have to look for is the underlying cause, the infection. That's a pretty easy thing to identify because once they're on antibiotics, it's a pretty quick turnaround typically in the average patient for that alteration indentation to go back to their baseline. The other thing that you need to look for is any chemi- any any type of nitrogen, urea, lactic acid, any type of buildup from end organ disruption is going to usually have some type of effect on the brain so for an example in lactic acid the lactic acid from the krebs cycle the breakdown of the glucose into that lactic acid is what really hurts the mentation lactic acid actually alters the neurons so just think of your dka patients your diabetic ketoacidotic patients that go into a coma their sugars are usually really high. So lactic acid is one of the predominant precursors that you can see that alteration in mental status from. That would be under the metabolic encephalopathy category. Now we don't just see it in uh, DKAs or even in sepsis. Lactic acid buildup can happen in many disease processes. So you have to look at your lab values and your numbers to see what's affecting that underlying condition that's having that impact on that um, alteration in mental status.
1: Great. great, yeah, great answer. You make me giggle when you said Krebs cycle. You brought me right back to freshman year of nursing school. So, oh
2: yeah, and you there. have to go. Back, <laughs> yeah, you have to go back there a little bit. And there's a lot of things pay attention to your labs i really want to stress mm-hmm. that with your metabolic encephalopathy because it's not just infection or you know the the chemistries that go on by these end organ processes it's also vitamin deficiencies we know that low sodium can affect mentation calcium is also the thing blood glucose oxygenation issues so you know be mindful of what area is off in their labs. that's going to be a big indicator for you.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, one thing I loved about your presentation at Actis is you spent um, a great deal of time referring to the AHA coding clinic guidance that touches on encephalopathy. Are there um, one or two key entries that you
2: think we should all know? Well, you know, there's there's a couple. Um, The first one that I'll just throw out there real quick is gonna be on seizures. I've had a lot of questions um, post the seminar live in San Antonio and the webinar I did on seizures. And I just wanna say very briefly, post-ictal states that cause the alteration in mental status is inherent to the seizures. So you would not seek out a metabolic encephalopathic process for that scenario. Postdictal is postictal. The second thing I want to point out is under hepatic. There is some talk in the new guidelines, which you'll segue into later, but there is some talk a lot about, you know, how do you get that MCC with hepatic encephalopathy? There are some coding clinics out there. Um, I believe there's a first quarter, um, Let me me think real quick. I think it, no, it's second quarter, gonna start in 2007. Look at all of the coding clinics out there for hepatic encephalopathy. There's quite a few of them and they'll take you through some things, but you can get to an MCC with hepatic encephalopathy. There is an acuity level with that one that we always ask for on queries. That's the only one that we ask acuity level for. And it's usually hidden in the second or third screen of the, Uh, groupers, depending on which one you use. But there's an acute slash subacute term that you can add to your queries and when coded out will get you the MCC. A lot of people don't know that. There's way more uh, coding clinics on hepatic encephalopathy than probably any other. And the last one that I want to, it's not really, um, I'm going to give a suggestion. And that is the newest one that came out with the second quarter of 2017, talking about the encephalopathic process being coded along with the CDA. Now, here's where I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna caution everyone. Be careful with this. This is a relatively new coding clinic and the very definition of encephalopathy is it's a diffuse brain disease, meaning you're not going to see it on imaging. What happens in a CVA? you see it on imaging, right? Not every CVA is equal. What they were talking about in that coding clinic were basal ganglia CVA's. There's also another concept that, you know, I talk about a lot with our CDIs is that You can have multiple processes going on in the body at the same time. A patient can come in with a stroke and also have an underlying UTI that's been brewing, especially if they're a nursing home patient that's elderly. That's very common, unfortunately, but it happens. So you've gotta be able to dissect the two. Is there a metabolic process in addition to that CVA? And that record better be crystal clear to show those differences. We don't know what the auditing response is gonna be. The denial rate is gonna be for those uh, CVAs with encephalopathy. So I just caution you to get very clear within your individual institutions how you're going to approach this subject. If it's a frontal lobe stroke, you're probably going to see some alteration in mental status that's inherent to that stroke. Um, the treatment for a stroke is if it's hemorrhagic, there's gonna be an intervention. If it's symbolic and there's enough blockage, there'll be an intervention, but there's always gonna be something on the CT of the head to show up, which therefore negates the very definition of the encephalopathic process. So I think we're gonna see more on this in the future uh, from AHA and CMS, so just get really clear and watch your denial rates going forward. Thank that, you. Exactly.
1: I, I love that you're, you know, pointing out we need to critically think through the record, and we need to put the Absolutely. pieces together. Perfect. Thank you, Don. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit just about some some general advice, uh, Don, for working with physicians uh, to document um, not just on the disease itself, but the specific types. You know, we're going to be covering in just a moment on our. In the news segment of the show, the 2019 IPPS final rule, and as we're going to see, this is getting the specificity on types is about to get a lot more important. So,
2: any general yes, tips is.
0: you have for working with physicians um, on this sure. diagnosis in particular?
2: Sure. I think the first line of teaching in every clinical documentation setting is going to be your query choices. Now your clinical indicators must be very clear and be very specific to your encephalopathic process that you're identifying in the record. When you make your choices, they must all be possible from those clinical indicators. So you can get very specific. Don't ask for hepatic encephalopathy if they don't have any liver disease or if their ammonia levels are not elevated. Be very congruent with your queries. That is the first line of teaching. So you can list out all of your choices. Stay away from generalized encephalopathy, other encephalopathy, please specify. You know, just list your choices, your other, you're clinically unable to determine when you're doing your multiple choice in whatever format you use. The second thing outside of queries would be one on one. I don't know if you do your rounds, but that would be a good time to set aside after rounds are done. Just ask, you know, hey, can. We have a few minutes in your meetings. A lot of physician groups meet on a regular basis. We'll give a CDI 10, 15 minutes, depending on your institution. But by far, create tip cards. Create tip cards for you know, the main three types that you see or the main five types you see, like we've done here, and really get clear. You know, put those lab values, put that ammonia level, you know, elevation for that hepatic as a hallmark sign. Put the lactic acid down for your metabolic. You know, put your drug identification under toxic. You know, do it, make sure your sepsis cases are very well documented in that record. If you're if you're tying that into septic encephalopathy, so when you do these tip cards, you can put all these different points down and then distribute those in break rooms. You can hand them out at meetings. You can put them at dictation phones. You can get very creative and do lunch and learns. You know, they love stuff like that.
0: All right that's uh that's that's great stuff really appreciate it don and um awesome job today i, I we, we i did get a few questions during the show that we weren't able to get to but maybe we can try to get a couple of those addressed afterwards but sure. good stuff Thank all you. right i'm gonna i'm gonna switch over to our poll results so we can take a look at what type folks are struggling most with so you should be seeing those on your screen again we asked you all which of the following types of cephalopathy. do you have the most difficulty with from a documentation coding perspective? So our biggest bucket was at 25% was other or unknown, um, but the other 75% did indicate one of the, the major four types with toxic coming out in, uh, in front at 23%, metabolic at 18% and hepatic and septic tied at 17% each. So, uh, anything there that, that surprises you, Don, or is that in line with yeah. what you'd expected?
2: It, it, that's exactly what I expect. It is a confusing topic because there's so many different types. Uh, there's a lot that goes into identifying the underlying source, which is the key. Uh, just get, just remember, you know, toxic comes from the outside of the body, metabolic comes from the inside. That should always be your starting point, and then ask, do I have any sequencing rules? especially with the toxic and then of course with the septic you're going to have sequencing rules with your sepsis so look at that secondary and then follow your record Pre, you know if you're a nurse you're used to having patient assignments then approach your record as your patient do a cephalocaudal assessment within your record and you should be able to identify all those clinical indicators that can go in your query or go in your discussion however you're going to handle it So that, it doesn't surprise me at all because that's really common for for what we see all the way through. Refer to your CDI pocket guide, refer to Mm active blogs. There's lots of resources out there. Dr. Pinson and both Dr. Kennedy have written really well-written articles on this that are online that you can access. So just get get your resources in order to help you and you should be able to find your way.
0: Great appreciate the plug there richard pinson was listening on today's show so um, i think
2: <laughs> hopefully you've
0: you've you've cleared that that hurdle but uh yeah his
2: pocket guide pocket is my guide bottle. also yeah All
0: right well let's go ahead and, and close this out and now we're going to um switch to our in the news segment of the show just give me one moment here uh There we are. So our In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today I'm going to discuss uh, briefly the release of an important document of which, of course, every CDI specialist needs to pay attention to. That, of course, is the IPPS final rule. The 2019 IPPS final rule is out. We're not going to cover all 2,300 pages, even though Laurie suggested (laughs) we do that on today's show. Um,
1: Interesting conversation. You can find it here.
0: <laughs> I know this is a this is a copy of a display rule. They also will publish it in a more readable format. But you can read it now. It's just in a long um, eye eye bending format here. Um, if you would like to find it, there's a nice cms.gov has, and I'll share these links after the show, as I always do on our uh, on actus.org. But um, If you would like to find where the rule lives on the cms site to launch off to it as well as get to the tables uh, these are all listed here on the cms.gov page Um, just as a reminder this rule takes effect october 1st so while these changes are final they're not implemented yet but they will be so the next six weeks or so is a great time to get educated on what's in the rule there is, of course, far too much to cover on Actus Radio and in our in the news segment. But what I am going to do is provide a quick top 10 list because everyone loves a top 10 list. Who doesn't love David Letterman um, of the CCMCC changes? These were compiled by our CDI bootcamp instructor, Alan Frady, who's a regular guest on Actus Radio. And I'm, I'm going to just go through these uh, quickly here and we'll be commenting on maybe one or two of them. Um, but first, so ARDS is now an MCC. Alan describes that as big news. Yay. Uh, respiratory distress syndrome, yep. Uh, sepsis following an OB procedure can be coded and is an MCC. Uh, congenital Zika is an MCC now. Uh, appendicitis, that has some new codes specifying patients who have peritonitis but may or may not um, but may or may not, uh, a a rupture, and may or may not have an abscess. So if they have perforation and localized peritonitis, Alan has pulled out that you receive an MCC for that case, no matter what. However, if there is no rupture and no abscess, you do not get to that MCC. Um, Peritonitis is not the determining factor as even with peritonitis is not MCC. Um, and he also notes that all situations where only peritonitis is present, including with gangrene, are downgraded to a CC. So some changes there um, in that code set for appendicitis. Another big one, HIV is no longer an MCC. It will be a just a CC on October 1st. Pertinent to today's show, uh, even more, so this is We talked about today is it can be even more important. Encephalopathy, unspecified or other, are no longer MCCs. They are downgraded to CCs uh, G93.40 and G93.49. Cholangitis is no longer a guaranteed CC. K83.09 other still works, but not the entire K83.0 code range. Number eight, I should have been listing these by number. Number eight on Alan's list, a number of DRG changes um, have been made based on insertion codes for pacemakers. So take a look at those. You can find those in the DRG tables. Uh, number nine, a number, of new, a number of new codes were added for adult and child labor and, and sexual exploitation as they have been designated as CCs. So those codes can be more important. Uh, the government does want to track these unfortunate cases, and uh, they are designated as CCs. And then finally, ten, last but not least, uh, sepsis following a procedure initial encounter as a secondary diagnosis does provide a CC now. So those are not all the code those are not all the um, CC and MCC list changes. Those are some of the the major ones that Alan pulled out. Um, of course, pertinent to today's program, we talked about number six, encephalopathy unspecified or other are no longer MCCs but have been downgraded to a regular complication comorbidity. So, just wondering, maybe to start with Don, do you have any thoughts on the rule and the change to encephalopathy unspecified in particular?
2: Well, it's an unfortunate rule change in my personal opinion, but um, on the opposite side of that, I really encourage every CDI program out there to start an educational campaign on you know, uh, making sure that the providers understand that the specification of the type is mandatory at this point. There's going to be a, a, you know, a chance for a potential loss if we do not capture that, especially since there's such a predominant uh, exposure of altered mental status showing up in the ED as one of the reasons for the admission. So we do need to campaign pretty heavily on this with our educational processes.
0: Right. Laurie, any any comments on uh, on the rule? I know you've been kind of going through it to update our bootcamp materials.
1: Yeah, the first thing I wanna tack on to what Dawn is saying is um, this is a perfect example of trying to make sure that you're up to date on CDI current events, um, because she's right. You wanna stay ahead of that curve and make sure that your providers understand the documentation that they need now to meet some of the new changes. But overall, on the final rule, um, I, you know, I always look through this with trepidation as to how much work is going to be required on my part to update our materials and get ourselves up to date, you know, with those current events um, ourselves. And the nice thing that I found in reading through this and through my notes is there's not a huge amount of significant changes. So I think we're getting back to that. kind of series of events that we were pre-ICD-10 where the final rules released, but it's not a huge um, upheaval of our world. Um, It seems to be um, settling down a little and um, becoming more manageable with each year. So that was a positive for me as I read through it, that there was not a lot of extreme interruptions in what we do and how we do it. There's a few, and we want to make sure that we internalize those and start Working with our providers to get the needed information, but overall, it's um, was comforting to me to know that the rug wasn't being pulled out from underneath us this year.
0: Right. Okay. Well, do appreciate that, Laurie and Dawn. You know, I'm showing here the final rule. There are some links to tables, but again, I I would start by going to cms.gov and the final rule homepage. Again, I'll be providing links to that after the show. Uh, just to wrap up briefly here with our actus update which is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside um, of actus we um, are currently taking registrations and i hope you can attend our upcoming actus symposium outpatient cdi conference so if you go to our actus.org homepage and you go to networking and events you will find the symposium lives here Um, to learn more this is the place to go we've got our entire 2018 event brochure here. That's available to peruse at your leisure. Um, it's a great program, of course, by the name of it, it's dedicated to outpatient CDI. We've got, uh, it's a two-day program. We've got a great keynote. We've got two tracks of education, one for CDI reviewers and one for managers. Um, some great case studies on the podium of folks that are have been doing outpatient CDI for some time and have a successful process in place. So they'll be sharing best practices on how to get started, how to measure your outpatient CDI specialists' um, work, some of the coding guidelines pertinent to outpatient encounters that might not be as familiar to you if you've been working in the inpatient setting only. Um, it's, a it's a, again, two-day program. We're having a reception this year. For those that attended last year, this is a new feature. We've also added a couple other cool bells and whistles. We've got a lightning round session. We're going to be doing some quick hit ideas about outpatient CDI to kind of maximize your educational experience. We've also got a poster session we're going to do this year. I think we might still be taking poster submissions. I'll have to check with the, uh, the individual running the show, Rebecca Hendren. But, um, again, I hope you can make it. We're, it's a great facility. We're in Orlando. We're giving you a little sample of Orlando prior to our Twelfth uh, annual conference next May, which will also be in Orlando, but this is a, this is at a different facility. Um, it's at the, um, Lake Buena stuff, So I hope you can check it out again. Go to actus.org, take advantage of our early bird rates, and 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 learn more. All right. Well, that is gonna do it for today's program. I hope you enjoyed the session today on Cephalopathy with Don Valdez. Don, thank you again for a great job today. Um, thank you, Brian. Uh, we are gonna be back, yeah, absolutely. I'll have, you, have to have you on again in the future. Uh, we are gonna be back here again in two weeks with another clinical topic and another changing clinical topic, uh, the fourth universal definition of MI. But as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, I encourage these, uh, you can reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that will do it, everyone. We'll see you back here again in two weeks. Uh, Take care and have a great rest of the day.